Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today on The Detail, let's talk about food. There are lines for local food banks that are just wrapping around blocks right now. Scavengers going through other people's discards looking for something to eat. While we see an average of a 1,000 families per month in our pantry, that number has tripled. They turn scraps from the shops into free course meals. A service in demand as a cost of living crisis starts to bite. People are having to make a decision on do I heat my house or do I eat? And we know it's going on here. One in five children are living in households where putting food on the table is a struggle. Food banks and social welfare agencies are expecting to be overwhelmed in the coming months as the Omicron outbreak spreads. It means I'm shopping with money in mind instead of health. It means that I can't give my children the food that I know is best for them. And it means that I eat last. But hang on. What about this? New Zealand produces enough food to feed 40 million people. That's right, 4-0, 40 million people. Then there's the staggering amount of food we waste. Restaurants, food stores and French families dump tonnes of still edible food products into the trash each year. UK homes waste on average eight meals a week. Over a year, this means the food and drink we waste would fill 38 million wheelie bins. About 1,717 metric tonnes of food is wasted each day. And the worst statistic? If the food waste that ends up in landfills was a country, it would be the world's third largest greenhouse gas emitter. There's something very wrong with this equation. Today I'm at a warehouse in South Auckland where they're tackling the problem of surplus food and food poverty on an industrial scale. Such a scale that it has just been granted $440,000 by the government to install more chillers and freezers. It is the Food Rescue Coordinator New Zealand Food Network. It collects surplus food in bulk from manufacturers and distributes it to 171 hubs around the country to help feed people in need. I'm talking to CEO Gavin Finlay. So in here, we have three chiller freezers. Mm. Uh, Come October this year, this whole area is going to be an enclosed drive-in chiller freezer using racking from floor to ceiling. So that's the funding that we receive from uh, the Waste Minimisation Fund. First of all, should we describe, this is a, just a massive warehouse, Gavin? It, it's a medium, <laughs> medium to small warehouse in, oh, in the big it? terms. Um, to give you an example, Foodstuff's new warehouse out at the landing at the airport is the size of seven football fields, seven rugby fields. But yeah, so this is uh, it's just about 850 to 1,000 uh, square metres. So it's, it's a relatively small warehouse. But and these are like shipping containers, they are. aren't they? they these exactly, are shipping containers. They're exactly what they are. 40, three of them. Three 40-foot shipping t- containers that have been retrofitted uh, with refrigeration uh, at the back. Can we have a look inside? We certainly can do. Okay. Um, Joseph? While we wait for Joseph to open the shipping containers turned chillers, the immensity of this is starting to sink in. In the last two years, the Food Network has distributed more than 11 million kilograms of food, or nearly 32 million meals, through the food hubs around the country. By doing this, it has diverted the equivalent of more than 17 million kilograms of CO2 from landfill. 
that's a decent chunk of food rescued. But Gavin says it is a fraction of surplus household and commercial food that still goes to the dump. We've got some greens. Our, our sister company, Kiwi Harvest, work with HelloFresh. And so, you know, any surplus product comes from HelloFresh that they can't get rid of, we, we can take here. So yeah. we've got some eggplant and a fair bit of dairy that's in the back. If we have a look next door, this is our frozen. So we've got some ice creams and we've frozen down some meat products surplus to, to requirements. Something like these... Boxes of ice yes. cream. How do you get that out to to people who need that kind yep. of thing? When the food comes in, mm. we know the needs of each of the food hubs, so we allocate that food out on a, a basis. So if we get 20 pallets that's got um, 20 cartons of product on it, that's 400 cartons. We know the type of product that each food hub wants, um, so we allocate maybe 10 cartons here, 20 cartons here, 50 cartons here. They go onto our portal, Mm-hmm. and they, they draw that down. They say, yes, I'll have that. So our teams then pick from our inventory and create, and we'll, I'll show you some examples later, they create mixed pallets that then we organise transport to take it from here right to the door of the food hub. So, and that can be anywhere. So generally from product coming in, depending on what it is, mm-hmm. to product going out, um, can anything be between two days? And two or three weeks, depending on the product. Yeah. But from when a, a food hub orders it, they will virtually get it the next day. Do you have to guard against corruption? In general, the organisations that we deal with are really... They've, they've been doing it a while. They're really onto it and know what it is. We have had, to be fair, we have had two instances in two years of product ending up on Facebook Marketplace, for example... Um, but we've got quite robust methods to to minimise that and stamp on it straight away. So um, you know, it, it's you know, it, we're all human. Mm, we all make mm. mistakes and errors yeah. uh, at, at times. So yeah. Um, and when you say robust me- methods, what? How, how do you? Uh, monitoring. Stamp on it? You know, there's a number of not just ourselves, but the food donors and the food hubs. Uh, we tend to monitor these sites uh, quite often um, and, and and pick it up. There are dozens of rescue groups in New Zealand that distribute food to hundreds of organisations, which in turn deliver it to thousands of households. But none could do it in bulk and deal with the big manufacturers until the Food Network set up in 2020, a spin-off from the food rescuer Kiwi Harvest. There was this gap on a national basis, and we saw um, a number of examples, a couple of hundred pallets of um, product you know, going to waste, 20 tonnes of fish, 50 tonnes of vegetables. That volume just couldn't be handled by any of the existing entities. How, how did you know that you know, there were 50 tonnes of vegetables? Because from Kiwi Harvest's knowledge over the last 10 years, we would be getting phone calls from uh, entities saying, look, we've got 50 tonnes of carrots, what can you do? And you go, well, we can take a, maybe two tonnes of that, which is like four bins of carrots. And that was the volumes that we could handle prior to that product going, uh, spoiling and going off by that time, grown to be one of the largest, if not the largest, dedicated food rescue in the country. That must have been hard to say no to something like that. Absolutely. When you know uh, that it's going off to landfill, creating 
corrosive greenhouse gases, and you know that you've got a good use for it, physically we just didn't have the space, resource or funding to be able to do that. So we're looking at these kind of uh, floor-to-ceiling uh, shelves that uh, have got things like, well, that looks like stacks of jazz apples on them. Yeah, because we work in this surplus environment, you just never know what's coming mm. in at all. <laughs> so it's very hard kind of to plan. So we've got some milk powder, so we've got a fantastic relationship with uh, Fonterra, mm-hmm. um, who not only do we work with them on their, their, uh, all their surplus, but they do uh, voluntary donation. So out of the, the goodness of their heart, they, they donate product to us that we can get out in, in the communities. We have, again, our, another of our main food donors is Turners and Growers, so we get a lot of uh, fruit and vegetables through them on their, uh-huh. on their sickens. So it's a, quite an art in processing a fruit or vegetable to ensure that the product having to be that perfect perfect qualities. For example, there's 13 photographs taken of each apple and it's turned in its little pocket as it goes through the camera system. Is that right? And and, and analysed for sunspots, for little blemishes, and as it goes along the uh, processing line, it will drop into particular bins and buckets so that at the end, the grade one product that goes off to uh, for export is of top premium quality. So it's a real science in, in being able to create that perfect product that the consumer wants, uh, especially for the overseas market. The growing number of people who are in the situation of food poverty, yeah. do you think this is the right model long term? I mean, uh, No, no, no. We, we, we know that. Um, so, you know, we are addressing food insecurity at the moment. So food insecurity is having access to adequate nutritious food so that the, the three the three key elements so access and, and access can be a, an issue for some people um, adequate is the the volume and nutritious is the the quality and um, we talk about sometimes people eating empty food um, so you know low nutritional product but it's it's of volume and we want to try and change that so we do want to try and um, look at as a country, how do we create food security? How do we create an environment where um, having to hand out is less and less and less than helping people, giving them a hand up into, into that? So, you know, as a society, as a government, that's one of the areas that we are trying to work with government on that. How do you do that? I mean, when you... One, you want to try and create easier access to lower-cost food, because obviously... Access, adequacy and nutrition is one thing, but the cost of all that. So as we transition out of COVID and into a relatively unstable economic environment, shall we say, so higher cost of living at 6.9% and, and rising on the, the inflation, you know, we can do all we want, but if, if it's really challenging and difficult for people to afford the food product, yeah. we're still going to be needed. Sure. I'd love to do myself out of a job. I'd love there to be no food surplus and no food need. That would be absolute heaven for us. But in terms of, you know, I guess shifting away from this model into more of a, I don't know, would you call it a self-help model or something? Yeah, well, the ultimate game is food security and food sovereignty. So food sovereignty is probably something that we as humans had 
20,000 years ago or 10,000 years ago where we grew what we ate, ate and ate what we grow. Unless we had a meteorological event, mm. you always knew you were going to have food because you only planted what you needed and you ate what you planted. Yeah. So there was real, real uh, understanding that food was not an issue. Yeah. It's not the case now, but so as we've transitioned into much more of an urban environment um, where the access is through a completely different channel. But that access now is limited because of the costs of being able to do that. There's a number of things that we are working on and will continue to try and work on to create that ability for um, everybody to have real certainty that they know that they can put adequate nutritious food on their table. Can, can you give me an example of what? Well, community gardens or community involvement, um, where you know a community, whatever size it is, uh, comes together to really understand the food needs and then creates an environment, whether it be a little social enterprise or a community garden, um, you know, a number of little things like that. Uh, we're looking to work at scale from a, a national perspective on a, a couple of projects that, you know, over, it will take some time to evolve through and, mm-hmm. and that may come out in time, but uh, we're really working hard behind the scenes to try and make that work. Can we go and see what these guys yes, are doing over absolutely. here? absolutely. Yeah. Normally it's volunteers that come in, but today we, you know, we've got some extra product and, and it's quite quiet on the, mm. on the inwards and outwards goods, so the, the team are... Uh, Rolling their arms up and loving every minute of, uh, of, of doing this, aren't you? It's a quiet day in the warehouse and a handful of workers are re-labelling boxes of UHT milk that was destined for the Asian market. I'm washing. Washing? Yes, okay. yes, yes, yes. Well, tell, tell me about what you do here. Well, our job is just to make sure that whatever product we get, we, we QC it, we check it, we make sure that it's... it's it's, it can last, for example, produce that if we, we we're sending it outside of Auckland, we got to make sure that it will last, you know, but when when it arrives to where it needs to go. So, mm. yeah, we make sure we pack it properly, take out all whatever that is not can cannot be used, and then after that, box it up and send it away. This warehouse is like a lot of warehouses. But it's the work that you do and where this food ends up that's that's different, right? Yes, yes, yes. And that's the that's the most beautiful part that we know and all of us that this is going to a good place uh, where someone in need will have something to eat and they, they don't have to struggle. Like I mean, we I've 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 come from a a, a household of uh, four and. You know, and, and, and when I was a little kid, I've seen struggle. Um, you know, being raised in where mum and dad both had to work extreme late hours, and like it was hard. It was hard out there, you know. Today, Alhamdulillah, you know, we, we, we're now older and we can help our parents and see, you know, but going, looking back at those kind of moments, you know, had, had this been here when we were little kids. I mean, would have been a, a game changer. Would it? Yeah. It would have made a difference to your Ma- life? Yes, definitely. Because you wouldn't worry about whether you had well, yeah. like, food I mean, every day? It was food every day. Like, I, I was lucky that my mum, she had a passion for cooking. And, you know, she just, whatever she had, 
should make make do with it. So. What washes our resident uh, <laughs> a resident chef expert, uh, and uh, we do have shared lunches, and uh, you know we, we do get Washi to, to kind of cook. So he's he, he's had that passed on from his mum. Right, yeah. that's a lovely thing, isn't it? What does this mean for you guys to work in a place like this? For us, it's not just work. Knowing the fact that we're helping someone else here in New Zealand who's going through struggles in their family who need um, help of you know, food. There's kids out there. Not every family's the same. Before I started working here, which is at the beginning, so was Joseph, I never knew how much food went in landfill yeah. and how much stuff just here chucked away because it doesn't meet company specifications or, for example, potato chips, if they're not the right flavour, they, they, they bin them. I didn't know any of that. I didn't know stuff gets turfed out you know, from tennis and growers or whatever because all countdown refuse stuff because the carrots aren't orange enough. Or too big. Or, or too big or not straight enough. I didn't realise any of that, yeah. how much stuff actually goes in landfill when we can just give it out to people that need it. And so grateful to be part of the team that, you know, that we rescue the food and all that and all the food that's been given to us like from charities and that and, we, and it's good to see it go out seeing people come and pick them up with happy faces and going to people that really need the food. Why bin it when there's families out there who are looking for food who mm. don't have enough, you know, the financial to buy food there's family with... I come from a family of nine and, you know, having only mom work was, was a big struggle and, um, yeah, like Washim said, I wish we had something like this at that time would have helped mom a big time, uh, a lot and um, just coming from a background like that and knowing that we're doing something like this, you know, not only helps us, you know, come to work, it makes us feel good being at work as well. Yeah. We're helping ourselves and also knowing that we're helping others out there who are going through struggles that we've all been through, especially the big families out there. Thank you. Nice to talk Thank to you. you. Thank you. Just an understanding of the variety of products that, that, that we have in here, so we do get some treats and sweets it's not something that we'd be pushing out every single week but mm. families want to feel normal and, and having a little treat um, every now and then is, is key sure. um, this is an example of something that you know happens is you know the damaged product so we 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 get um, so so we, just because the plastic wrapping and then this um, yeah. cardboard wrapping has been damaged that whole pallet um, comes to you it's generally not this may be a combination of both best before and damage. Sanitarium, uh, we work with very strongly that we get a lot of their um, trial product. So they'll, oh. they'll, they'll trial, you know, new flavours, new files. So they, they go through a production line. It's not for sale, but they have to do a production just to check all the quality of it. And we get all that stuff. This is interesting. So there's a sign up here, a, a label on here saying nut and seed cereal, not for retail sale manufacturing seconds provided for humanitarian purposes. They're a really st strong partner to us, uh, the sanitarium company, and, and, and I've, uh, I've really taken to what we, you know, the, the ethos of what we're doing, and, and, you know, they certainly help out strongly when they can. You know, Mars is a, a, a good partner for us in the confectionery and pet food, because mm -hmm. pet food's an interesting ah, one. Ah, pet food, you'd never think of you'd that. You'd never think of that. No, but it's bloody <clears throat> expensive. It, very expensive. Uh, we certainly know anecdotally during the COVID period, certainly in the elderly community, they'd be feeding their pets before they'd feed themselves. Is that right? Absolutely. 
so we wanted to take that off the table and, and, and so Mars came on as a partner and we've it's been extraordinarily well received. Pets are integral to most families, so if we can help them with the not having to spend on, on pet food, then fantastic. You say that there's still a, a lack of awareness out there. I mean, do you actually approach these companies and say, look, these are the statistics if you've got food that you're, you know, that you're dumping? Absolutely. Think of us. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a very compelling story and, and the vast majority of um, companies that we deal with, where they can, they can help. You know, ideally, you know, they've got some really good lean manufacturing processes and principles so they don't have a lot of surplus. But when they do, we, we are a great outlet for them. It's, a, it's an industry, isn't it? It's it is. It's a, gro- it's, a, it's a growing industry and it should be part of the food psyche of all companies um, because they do generate surplus for whatever reason don't just have the mentality I can't sell it so I'm going to throw it away we're a channel for that we can take that product and actually get it to good use I suppose this demonstrates the immensity of the thing on both sides the food that's thrown away and the people who need the food yeah absolutely so there's no country in the world that's, that's nailed it uh, there's no country in the world that has, has a, an, eco, an economic environment where food security is not an issue. Uh, and there's no country in the world who's got a manufacturing, growing food supply chain environment where there's no surplus. How does New Zealand measure up against the rest of the world? It would be fair to say that we, we've got a bit to go. Uh, there's a, a number of countries, um, for example, France, have mandated that you can't throw food in the landfill mm. at all. You have to find a solution for it. There's other companies like Canada that have got a fantastically integrated uh, food rescue environment in the country. So, you know, we, we've still got some work to do, I think, um, and the government realised that. So, you know, having a food policy or a food strategy as a country, um, this would form part of that. Yeah. Uh, so I think there's a lot of work being done to try and, uh, trying to get to that space. Well, why do you think we're, so, we're, we're behind other countries? Is it this thing where, oh, no, we can't, there can't be anybody out there who's... I, I, yeah, I do think there's a bit of that. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a passionate, kilted Kiwi. I'm, you know, obviously from Scotland, but I've been here over a quarter of a century. And um, the she'll be all right attitude kind of kind of prevails in that space. Uh, of course, what do you mean? What do you mean people are hungry? It must be their fault. You know, I mean, you know, of course they should get up and, and do it themselves. But, you know, if a young family, um, you know, a young guy's working really hard, doing his 40 hours a week on minimum wage, you know, in, in Auckland, you know, he's taking home $700, $750 a week in his hands. Rent will be 550 to 600 of that. You know, he's got 100, $150 to $200 maximum for the entire family's budget. He won't get free rent. He won't get free power. They won't get free petrol. They won't get free Wi-Fi or clothes. But we can help them from a food perspective because of the surplus. So it's not ideal. Of course it's not ideal. But I think there needs to be a little bit more of a realisation that, you know, no matter how hard people try... There's still, an, there's still really a, an, an environment where they, they are really struggling financially to, to put food on the table. 
That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom 4RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Sarah Robson. And thanks to our associate producer, Bonnie Harrison. Also thanks to Gavin Finlay and his team at New Zealand Food Network. Kakite anō.